Now, my understanding is we do have a nursery today, but we do not have junior church because our primary and our backup are both out of town today. So, um, I think that sometimes too. I sure do. Hey, it's better if they talk and say it to your face, right? Open God's words to the book of Acts, continuing on in chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this place, a place to meet with other believers. And we know that the church is not a building, that the church is yours, Father, that it's your people. We are here today to fellowship with them and to exalt your name, to lift you on high. As we look into your word, Father, open our eyes, give us understanding, and change our hearts, that next Sunday we will love you more than we do today, and that we will love our neighbor more than we do today. We ask for your help with that, Father. We ask for the blessing on the preaching of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I do need to um, make a point of clarification Um, I got some comments this week, so I said, well, I better get up and say something Sunday morning. Last week, towards the end of the message, I gave a quote uh, from George Sweeting. It says, it is possible, possible to be so tactful in our witness for Christ that we never make contact. Let me read that again. It is possible to be so tactful in our witness for Christ that we never make contact. Now, I was saying that we have a responsibility, and, and Christ said in Matthew 10, he didn't come to bring peace, he came to bring a sword. And that sword was his word. But that, that, that sword causes conflict. It's not always easy. And the, and the point of what I was saying at that point was that we, we can witness to our neighbors, we can witness to our family, But we have to make sure that we express the word clearly. Sometimes we mamby-bamby around it because we don't want to insult them or or have a confrontation. And what I was saying last week was that sometimes you need to be just bold and up front and say it straight out. You, you, You may need to use words like sin and hell. And the wages of sin is death. Because that's the reality of what God teaches in His Word. And people don't want to be that harsh. Well, I'll tell you what's going to be harsh, folks, is people in eternity without Christ. That's harsh. Separation from God for eternity. If, if, if we have, we, we do, we have a responsibility to share the Word and to tell our neighbors, our family, those we work with. It's not an option. We have to tell them. How else will they hear? 
but but the, the, the what came into question was well well pastor if I go and knock on my neighbor's door and, and they open the door and, and I just say you're a sinner going to hell and you need Jesus that probably isn't the best way to start out okay be a little more tactful the first time but you can do that to six no you 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 need to obviously pray and ask the Lord how to approach because there's different personalities and God knows them we 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 don't know them all and God knows their heart. He knows their background. He knows what's going to appeal to them and what's what's going to catch their interest and what's going to turn them off. And guess what? Some people are just going to be turned off by God's word. That's all there is to it. Some people will never accept Jesus Christ. Paul says, I watered, or excuse me, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. Once we do our responsibility in sharing the gospel, then it's up to God. Go to Isaiah 55. when he says that his word will accomplish what he sets it out to accomplish. And we don't know his heart or his will. It may be something different for you than it is for you or you. Okay? But we have a responsibility to tell those around us of Jesus Christ. And, and the point of, of George Sweeting's quote there is is not for us to tiptoe around the truth so that we can be the nice neighbor and friendly and you know everybody loves us and whatever else. You can start out that way and and, and but you got to be very clear in in the message of Jesus Christ that we are sinners lost. We deserve hell because of our sin and Jesus Christ died for us to forgive us that sin. It, we need to make it that clear because it's too important for somebody to go off into, deter, into eternity without Jesus Christ because we didn't want to be bold in our faith and share. Last week we looked at the first four verses of Acts chapter 8. Uh, it was kind of, it, it bounces around even just in those four verses. But we're, we, we talked about Saul and how he was happy to see Stephen die. It was his goal. One of his goals was to wipe out Christianity. So anything they could do to stop it was was in their wheelhouse. In verse 3 it says, Saul began ravaging the church and entering house after house and dragging people out. He wanted them to go to prison so they could stand trial, so they could be murdered. Because this, this doctrine that they were teaching, the way, was different than the religion that the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin had established in the Jewish culture. We've used the two phrases and the, the two things that, the, that the, the spiritual leaders in Israel at that time built their religion on was the temple and the law. And what are our two phrases? We know that Jesus came to be the fulfiller. Jesus came to fulfill the law and Jesus came to fulfill the temple. They, they missed the point. They needed to be worshiping him, but they continued to worship the law in the temple, and that was where the, the problem was. That's where it all broke down for him. So Saul wanted to put an end to them because to, to, to Saul and the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, all of them, the religious leaders in, in, in Israel and in Jerusalem, wanted it to be about them. And if, if you could meet Jesus wherever you were at, you didn't have to come to the temple in, in Jerusalem, and they controlled that. 
And if, and if you didn't have to come there anymore, then they would lose control of you. So Saul, in a very brutal, sadistic, cruel way, sought to destroy the church and to, to eradicate it, to be done with it. Some devout, in verse 2, some devout men buried Stephen. Uh, they, they were not ashamed of the gospel. They were not ashamed to step up. They, they killed Stephen. They very easily could have killed these guys. But they were willing to stand up and, and, and do the right thing for, for Stephen and his memory. And then we had the persecution arising. Uh, we talked about that in the Old Testament. The scattering of the Jews was because of their sin. They were in the land. The Lord brought the Assyrians in to take away the northern ten tribes, to, to deport them out. And then he brought the Babylonians in to, to get rid of the, to break up and, and deport the, the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Because they were disobedient to God's word. So they were scattered. Here we find they're, they're scattered again, they're being scattered, but it's because of obedience this time that they're being scattered. They, uh, let's see, uh, the second part of verse 1 in chapter 8 there. On that day, great persecution arose against the church. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles stayed right there. But the church, and, and the church is estimated at this time to have been somewhere between twenty-five and 50,000 people. That was part of God's plan. Satan thought he had it figured out. We talked about un- unintended consequences. He didn't. He, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He didn't realize that to to scatter the church was not what he wanted. But that's what happened, and that was all part of God's plan to get the gospel out. In, um, Acts chapter uh, chapter one verse eight. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. They've been in Jerusalem. They've been sharing the gospel there. And one of my favorite verses in Acts now is 528. It's in the middle of it. The Sanhedrin are accusing the apostles. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Amen and amen. They did what they were supposed to. They filled the city of Jerusalem. Well, obviously the Sanhedrin didn't like that. But that's okay. Because this was their mission given by God in Acts 1.8. Because they had received the power of the Holy Spirit. And now in, in chapter 8 here we see the beginnings of the, the going out to Judea and Samaria by the scattering of the Christians because of their obedience and faith in the word of God. So we looked at we looked at Saul, we looked at the church and what was happening there. We looked at the, the devout men who, who came and buried Stephen, and today we're going to go, at, at one time I thought we'd make it to verse 13, but we're just going to look at verses 5 through 8 today. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The multitudes with one accord were given attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was much rejoicing in that city. Philip, if you look at in Acts chapter 1 verse 13, you'll find a list of the apostles. And there's a guy by the name of Philip there. That's not our Philip here. 
That's a different Philip. There was a Philip that was an apostle. And then if we look in chapter 6, when the, when the deacons were appointed, there was another, the first two guys were Stephen and Philip. This is our Philip that we're talking about here. This Philip was an evangelist, and he's, he's addressed that as that in, in uh, Acts chapter 21. That it refers to him as Philip the Evangelist. But we want to make sure that we got the right guy here. He, he was not the apostles. And, and one of the two, two things about Philip is one, he was one of the, the, remember the seven deacons that were appointed in chapter six? They were the Hellenistic Jews versus the Hebrew Jews. Okay? The Hebrew Jews were the ones that had stayed in the land and kept their traditions and everything very, very Jewish and, and very historically accurate. But the Hellenistic Jews were those that had been taken off by the by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, had had married people from other lands and had come back, but they were raised and educated in the in the Greek structure. They knew the Greek language, and they were the Hellenistic Jews, and that's why there was a conflict with the widows receiving the, the food in that in chapter six. And so they appointed these deacons. And, and hang on to that about Philip, that he was one of the Hellenistic Jews. He wasn't a, a well, we'll say a Jew-Jew, uh, the, the, the pure blood, but he, he was a Hellenistic Jew that had come back into to Jerusalem uh, from where he was, his family or whatever was, was off into captivity. Because that makes a difference in, in where we're going here, because we're going to go to Samaria today. And we know that Samaritans don't like the Jews, and the Jews don't like the Samaritans. But Philip... Was, was a faithful, a true, and a very conscientious deacon. He, he's faithful in his service to, to making sure that the widows had the proper food. Didn't matter if they were the Hellenistic Jews or the Hebrew Jews, they were treated fairly, and Philip was one that made sure that he did. And just like Stephen, because of this faithfulness, God had other things for them. God had more ministry and more work for them to do than serving tables. He put them into he put them to work as, as preachers and ministers of the gospel. We know also that um, he was a Hellenistic Jew, but Matthew 10, I'm going to flip there real quick. Matthew 10, 5 and 6. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter into any city of the Samaritans but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He, the, the apostles were sent to the, the Jews only, to the, to the house of Israel. So the, the and that's, I think it might be kind of one of the reasons that at the end of verse 1 there it says that, the uh, let's see, they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. But we see here Philip is... is taking the ministry out there. He's one of those that was scattered because of the persecution in Jerusalem. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. What's wrong with that picture? The Samaritans hated the Jews. How in the world was it that, that Philip could go down to Samaria to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews and they wouldn't chase him out of town. Well, there's several reasons. We've, we've briefly touched on the one that, that Philip was a Hellenistic Jew, so they, they were more open to accepting him. They, they, he wasn't a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
but he was a hell of, he, he, he had education. He, he, he looked, he talked differently than the, than the Hebrew Jews. Um, so that, that they knew that he wasn't of the Hebrew Hebrews. Am I making sense? Does that make sense? Okay. I hope it does. In my head, it does. I just want to make sure it comes out right. Um, there, there was such a hatred. What, what happened was when in 722, when the, the Assyrians came in and carried off the 10 northern tribes, what they would do is they would repopulate the people, the, the, the ones that they took out, they'd send the same number back from other nations, from other lands. They, they would try, they figured if they could enter, you know, a house divided cannot stand. Okay? United we stand, divided we fall. They figured it was easier if they would send in people from other lands and intermarry with them, then they wouldn't be such strong Jews. Then they would be, in this case, half-breeds. They'd be part Jew and part whatever from whatever country they sent back in. Maybe part Egyptian, part Babylonian, part Mede or Persian, whatever. They, they would try to dilute the population so that they weren't so strong. Well, of course... People being people, we have our biases and we are bigoted sometimes, and the Jews didn't like the half-breeds. To those that stayed in the land and didn't marry, intermarry, didn't like that idea. But because of it, because because of this animosity that, that arose between the, the two groups of people there, the Samaritans in Samaria established their own temple. They had their own priests. Because of the, the hatred between them, the, the Samaritans had no respect for the high priests in Jerusalem. They didn't really care what the priest in Jerusalem would say. And, and you, you, you kind of get that. When, when you hate me just because of who I am, why should I respect and listen to you? So the, the, the Samaritans had their own temple, they set up their own priests, and, and they really weren't in the mood to listen to anything coming out of Jerusalem. They were half-breeds in the Jewish eyes. They were they uh, openly opposed fraternization. Um, John 4 is the, the story of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And she says, what in the world are you talking to me for? This, this isn't right. This this just... This, this, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? So it was understood that they tried to avoid that, that interaction with, with the Jews or with the Samaritans, with the opposite. But while he is, he is going down there, uh, verse 5 again, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he began proclaiming Christ to them. Now we talked in, in 528 about how the Sanhedrin accused the apostles of filling Jerusalem, to which we rejoice, filling Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? Philip wants to go and flood Samaria with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what he's about. And so he goes and he begins proclaiming Christ to them. And we, we've been using the phrase a little bit in the last week. Remember, the main point is to keep the main point the main point. And the main point is Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus Christ glorified. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. He was the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus Christ was Messiah, although they didn't acknowledge him as that. So 
Philip is going about the business he's set to do. He is proclaiming Christ to them. Why, why would they listen? Why would they open their ears? Somebody is coming from Jerusalem, and, and again, we've, we've already established that they have no respect for the high peace. Why, why are they going to listen? Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 4, talking about the, the Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 9, The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Verse 16, Jesus told her to go call her husband, and the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You've done well to, to say that you have no husband. And, and he proceeds to tell her about her life. And in verse 19, she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you people, there's just a little bit, a little bit of that, you know, segregation there. You people, referring to the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Down to verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When the one that comes, he will declare all things to us. And then as Jesus said in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. So Christ went to Samaria and ministered. If you, if you look, we won't turn there, but if you look in, in Luke 17, 11 through 19, talks about the, the 10 lepers that were healed. We always like to teach that on a lesson on Thanksgiving because only one of the ten came back. But do you recall or remember that that took place in Samaria? Jesus was break, breaking that boundary, crossing crossing that boundary to, to break the wall down there. He, he went and he ministered in Samaria. And then... We all know the story in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan. Have we ever heard that story? The parable of the Good Samaritan? The man that was beat up and left for dead. Priest came by, a Levite came by, and then who was the one to help him? The Good Samaritan. And so Jesus in his teaching is is including the Samaritans. I mean, the, the Samaritan is the hero of this parable. He's the one that cared about the, the injured and wounded man, cared enough about him to, to put out his own money to help him, to put him up, to, to bandage his wounds. So because of Jesus' ministry and his teaching, he, he, he kind of separated himself a little bit from Jerusalem in that. That, that he was the Messiah. He was the one that could give the living water. He was the one that was ministering to the Samaritans when other Jews would have nothing to do with them. Jesus intentionally went through Samaria. He, he kind of went the longer route to go through Samaria so that he could teach to them and minister there so that they would have an understanding and that they would listen. So when Philip came preaching about this Jesus, when Philip came to preach about the Messiah, 
there was already a little bit of the ice broken there. They were willing to listen because they knew that Jesus had come and ministered there. They said, God, God has visited us. We know that, that Christ has, has, has come to us. He hasn't tried to exclude us from his ministry or his teaching. He has included us. So as we move on then back into Acts chapter 8, we know that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, began proclaiming Christ to them, to the multitudes with one accord. And it's been a while since we do it. For the sake of time, I won't today. But if you go back to the beginning of the book of Acts and read through and highlight each time in the book where it talks about them being with one accord, having the same mind. And I always like to flip to Philippians 2. That, that, that we would have the mind of Christ. That we would have unity in the mind of Christ. Not in your mind. Not in my mind but in the mind of Christ. So there we can find commonality. And and what was the mind of Christ in Philippians 2? Humility. He, He humbled himself and went to death on a cross. First of all, he humbled himself and allowed himself to be in fashion as a man. But then when I... But... So I always like to, to point that out with one accord. And, and, and these weren't the Jews. These weren't the apostles. They, these weren't the inner circle. These were the Samaritans now. They're getting on boat with being of one accord. They were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs that he was performing. Yeah, we've, we've heard about this Christ. He, he, he was here. He ministered. In fact, he talked to that lady that has so many husbands she can't count them. And he was willing to be seen with her, be associated, and to share with her the good news of Jesus Christ, to share with her the living water. Verse 7, For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. The Greek word here, and I'm gonna, I gotta look at it so I try to say it right. Demonia is translated demons. That, that Greek word is never ever translated devil or Satan. He has his own word. He is diabolos. And we know here that, that this is talking about the, in the unclean spirits, it's talking about demons because the Greek word is daimonia. Okay, the, these, these are Satan's emissaries. These are those that go about to accomplish Satan's work for him. And often when they enter, they, they need a body to function in, either a human body or an animal body. They, they need a body to, to be in to accomplish their evil. And often when they're in that body, they will inflict physical maladies. Physical illnesses manifested many different ways. But the one thing that's true about all demons is that they understand that Jesus Christ is sovereign. They understand that Jesus Christ is the supreme being and that they must answer to Him. They know that He has all authority over them. And it's evidenced here that when they come out, they come out shouting with a loud voice. They're coming, coming out of them shouting, and many who had been paralyzed lame were healed. These physical maladies, when, when the demons were cast out, huh, guess what? The physical malady was gone too. 
They were healed of, of the paralyzation or the, the lameness that they had because of being possessed or being owned, so to speak, by these unclean spirits, by the demons. They recognized that the Most High God is the supreme authority. As a believer, what do we do? How do we fight against Satan? How do we fight against his demons? Ephesians 6, the full armor of God. Just going to mention it. If you're not familiar with that passage, look there later. You, you need to be familiar with it. If you, if you love Jesus and you know Jesus, you need to be very familiar with chapter 6 of Ephesians. Because it explains and we understand that our battle in this world is not against flesh and blood. It, my battle is not with you. you. You may be mean to me. You may be devious. You may say nasty things about me. But my battle is not with you. My battle is with the one that controls you and is causing you to do and say those things. It's, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle against the principalities and the powers of darkness. It's a spiritual battle against Satan and his demons. And the, the demons understand and recognize that Jesus Christ is the supreme authority. So if we keep ourselves protected with the armor of God, the shield of faith, the gospel, we can fight that off. Not in our, our power, but in the power that God gives us when we are obedient to him and we follow him. We don't need to fight that battle. Be it at work, I'm not, as much as I hate to say it, even in the church, Satan will use one believer against another believer to try to divide and conquer, to try to split us up, to try to tear us down. But the important thing when, that's, when you feel like you're being attacked is to understand my battle is not against you. My battle is against principalities against Satan and, and the powers of darkness, okay? And, and that is exactly what's going on here. The multitude with one accord gave attention to what was being preached by Philip as they heard and saw the signs he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. Many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And what's, what happens next? Verse 8. There was much rejoicing in that city for good reason. There should have been a lot of rejoicing going on. Because the main thing was becoming the main thing and staying the main thing. Philip was there preaching the word of God. And they were willing to listen because Christ had ministered there. Christ had worked on breaking down the barriers. Salvation and healing brought great joy and there's a, a, an amazing awakening among the among the samaritans this this word hadn't come to them before this was new to them it was amazing and when when they saw christ working they rejoiced and as we should when we see christ working in our lives in our family in our church Rejoicing that Christ is being exalted and that he is on the throne as he should be. 
So the main thing is Christ crucified and Christ glorified. Is the resurrection, Christ was glorified and he, he sat down on the right hand of God because the work was done. He had paid the price for all of our sins. There's nothing that we need to do. There's nothing that we can do to have any of our sins forgiven. It's by faith alone. It's a free gift. But it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ministry of Philip. Thank you for him accomplishing your will and your word to to preach Jesus Christ. And Father, help us to do that and to do it well. That your name would be uplifted and exalted. That all of our attention and focus would be on you. Because Father, the demons know that you are the supreme being. That you are the supreme authority. And Father, we certainly ought to recognize that if they do. So we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you have done for us. And Father, as we go to communion now, um, we ask that that you would help us to search our hearts for any, any unconfessed sin, that we might confess our sin before you, that we might be right, that we may be in a right fellowship with you in a right place, that we can know your blessing in our lives, that we might rejoice because of what you're doing, and and you can't work in our hearts if we're keeping sin there. So, Father, please help each of us here today to examine ourselves. May your Holy Spirit give us a sensitivity to our sin, that we might make it right with you, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with